You're listening to the Christian Humanist Radio Network, christianhumanist.org. Satan, your kingdom must come down. Satan, your kingdom must come down. I heard the voice of Jesus say, Satan, your kingdom must come down. everybody ground control to major tom and uh, manning ground control today as usual is me danny anderson assistant professor of english at mount aloysius college in crescent pennsylvania and today i'm going to be talking about president trump's big space force proposal with todd peddler a uh, professor of physics at luther college and co-host of the book of nature podcast um and by the way i got that song off of a, a songify link which i'll put into the show uh, show notes here uh but before we begin though i'd like as always to invite you or to subscribe to the show. And if you can write a review of it on iTunes, like our Facebook page and take part of the conversations that have there. And as always, you can find everything about the show at our website, sectarianreviewpodcast.com. So when the whole Space Force thing dropped, I kind of scoffed at first, somewhat because of Trump's casual dropping of the phrase separate but equal, as if that had no <laughs> larger meaning, um, but also because the whole thing seemed to me like the premise of some kind of sci-fi dystopia. Uh, but then I read around about it and found a lot of seemingly rational people suggesting that it's not a totally harebrained idea. Now, my own personal feeling is that there are some ethical problems with militarizing space. Maybe that's the the Anabaptist uh, in me. Uh, but the uh, the whole kind the whole thing kind of reminds me of 2001: A Space Odyssey. I have to say. Uh, and Todd is here to give me some fuller context about it, though. Todd and I have both done some reading about this, and we have a, 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 an embarrassment of uh, riches of things to talk about here today. So, uh, Todd, how's it going? Well, it's going great. Uh, we're in the midst of the the the, the, the humid uh, dog days of summer, I guess. Um, but uh, but busy with research uh, this summer, and and uh, just got back from Japan. So I'm I'm now on this time zone. Finally, it took me a few days, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And for our listeners, you do the Book of Nature podcast. I'm, I'm sure people who listen to that show know what you do in Japan all the time. Just real briefly, do you want to talk about what you're doing uh, for my audience? Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, so I, I'm part of a, a large international collaboration uh, called Bell Two, um, um, that has uh, something. We're pushing about 900 physicists now, or or, or physics PhDs plus postdocs plus uh, grad students plus some undergrads um, from about 100 institutions around the world. Uh, 25 nations, I guess, represented, and um, it's elementary particle physics, man. You know, fundamental, fundamental stuff. Uh, smashing electrons and positrons together to make new states of matter that we're uh, trying to get a handle on. Um, translation: You're opening portals <laughs> to other dimensions to let demonic entities into our our realm. Um, Thank you, Mr. Baldwin. Yes, <laughs> yeah, that, that's uh, uh, yeah, uh, that's exactly it. Um, you're part of that uh, whole hadron collider. <laughs> <laughs> Where's your tinfoil? Yeah. <laughs> I, I should actually create an actual tinfoil. You wore it before. 
<laughs> I should, yeah, take an actual hat, dedicate one of my many hats to covering in tinfoil and wearing for those kind of conversations. No, uh, yeah. but no, Todd is, uh, for those of you, I mean, I'm sort of a fake academic. Um, Todd is an actual Good like uh, scholar and uh, and he uh, does actual research. And so I'm very um, grateful that he's taken the time uh, to come on the show to talk about this issue. Uh, and like I said, Todd, this to me at the beginning was kind of a big not a joke, but it just seemed absurd. And then the more I read about it, um, it's really not as absurd uh, as a concept. Now, maybe the way Trump is envisioning it is absurd. Uh, and there's certainly a lot of controversy about the tactic. But the idea of militarizing space actually has a long history. And a lot of people will claim this has already been going on for 50 years. Uh, and so <laughs> um, we'll, uh, uh, we'll get into more of those details here in a little bit. Um, but first... Since you're the physics guy, um, <laughs> do you want to give me a little bit of background? It isn't like getting on an airplane and just traveling someplace, right? Going into space presents like a whole new like realm of difficulties and obstacles. Like what are, what are the sort of the physical background uh, of, of doing this kind of work? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, like you, when I heard – Space Force. And, uh, you know, they, actually that song, you know, I think that song it may have taken overnight from the announcement. I mean, I, I think they had it up there pretty quick because uh, yeah. I, I, I caught it, too. <laughs> and, and those guys are pretty good at doing these things. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, a, a, so, yeah. a former student of mine, Jesse uh, Edmonds, he from uh, he, he actually sent me that. So I give him some credit on air. For that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, you know, you, you, you do envision this Starship Troopers thing or mm -hmm. whatever. Or uh, Battlestar Galactica and 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 whatnot, and you know I, I guess I'd have to say right off that idea is just is crazy. It, 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 it's crazy because of the fact that it is extremely difficult to get people into space in any way that preserves their safety. Mm -hmm. um, let alone you know <laughs> when when you don't have people shooting at you, right? <laughs> so um, you know uh, to lift any any sizable number of people into space to be able to do anything um, militarily up there uh, would be so expensive and I you know not just in terms of money but in terms of uh, fuel uh, you know just think about right right now what it takes to get three people to go to the space station um, and then multiply that by whatever factor you like to make the force that you want. You know, you want a thousand people up there. You gotta, you gotta launch, you know, mul mul dozens of rockets at the very least. Um, and then you gotta put them somewhere. Where are you gonna put them? Well, you know, so we're talking, you know, fifty, hundred years off before there's anything of that sort. And 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 the question arises: Why would you do that anyway? What's the advantage of having people in space to? What are you going to do? Hand-to-hand -hand combat? You know, we're going to <laughs> jujitsu out uh, outside the space station. I mean, come on, this is, this is crazy. So, you know, we have to we have to figure out what what we might look at in terms of real combat. You know, what what really would would happen if we want to uh, if we want to make warfare in space happen? Um, I'm thinking of it more in terms of uh, you know what, what's more realistic. Is something more like Gulf War, you know, where it's action at a distance. You are, you are uh, using the fact that I mean, the the big advantage, and this this goes back again to the '60s, um, and and you know carries throughout the the, the intervening decades. Uh, the idea is when you're in space, you are in the high ground. I mean, that that is the high ground, militarily speaking. You know, on a conventional battlefield, you want to have people in the heights. This is why the Golan Heights is so strategically important, right, in the Middle East, because you're up above where you could project things down below. So yeah. when you're in space, you've got that advantage, right? And that that's why. That's why we're interested. Yeah. Yeah, I've, in the past, I've seen kind of, uh, I don't know, dystopian documentaries about this sort of thing. And there was the, a proposal for, oh gosh, I forget the name. It was some sort of Norse god's name attached to basically just dropping some kind of metal spike from space on a, onto <laughs> a target. It basically has more than the effect of a nuclear bomb by the time it hits. Sure. Um, and so there were actual proposals uh, in the U.S. military about just setting up racks of these uh 
staffs basically right uh and i can't remember that might have been actually part of the name um and and just to just to sort of drop down oops and we've lost our facebook feed uh <laughs> but uh, just to sort of drop down the uh, upon you know civilian or not civilian but human targets on on the ground right and mm-hmm. so um that is actually to me one of the more um kind of nihilistic and terrifying aspects of this mm-hmm. uh of this whole uh enterprise and so um yeah uh so yeah, yeah that's uh that is one thing that uh, i've seen proposed and so it isn't mm-hmm. about having people in space it's about right. having equipment that gets manipulated at a distance right right and 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 so yeah that kind of kinetic weapon that's a real possibility in 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 some ways you'd have to You'd have to manage to make it. I mean, here's one of the challenges for something like that. You just drop something. Um, well, dropping it doesn't it's, dropping it isn't quite appropriate because if you are in orbit and you have these racks of Thor's hammers or whatever they're called um, in in orbit, uh, they're moving really fast yeah. and they are in orbit. So in order to be able to get them to drop down, you have to get them out of orbit. You have to deorbit them. So you actually have to instrument them with uh, retro rockets that can cause them their, their orbit to decay, as it were. Um, but then they can basically just fall. Um, and, you know, making making something fall on a particular place on the face of the Earth isn't that crazy from orbit. Uh, we do it all the time, right? I mean, uh, there are, um, you know, we have caused f- failed satellites to land in the ocean. Mm-hmm. Um, and this, you know, this has happened multiple times. Uh, sometimes you can't control it, like uh, the, the, the the Chinese space station that came down a few months ago. Um, we were actually concerned because they didn't have any means of controlling its deorbit, right? But but that kind of that kind of thing is not out of the realm of possibility uh, to be able to just cause something to fall on a place in the Earth. So, um, so that's you know that's that's one possibility. Um, and a real possibility um, that that uh, that one should be thinking about, um, but some of the other things that that y- you know you can have you can have uh, so that's like orbit to ground weapons, right? You're in orbit and you are dropping on something, um, so it's really kind of terrestrial warfare, but it's waged from a particular high ground. Mm-hmm. Orbit to orbit is the thing I think that we most maybe would be concerned with and 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 I'm I'm sure we'll talk more about this but the idea of taking out another satellite with a satellite right right um, what kind of things do you need there i mean in some in some respects space based warfare that is conducted you know between people objects whatever that are in space is actually simpler than earthbound because you've only got gravity to deal with you've got no air resistance to deal with and so shooting things is easier in, in, in some respects. Um, and all our peaceful experience with uh, orbital dynamics, uh, all that research, all that practical experience means we kind of know how to get things from point A to point B. Yeah. Not that we've ever shot anything, that, that, at, least, at least that I know of. Um, but, um, you know, when you are co-orbiting – um, it's merely a, a different set of calculations that one has to do to be able to get a weapon directed on some other target that's also in orbit. Yeah. Um, so there, for me, for my part, that's really the place where where one should be concerned. Yeah. Because um, a lot of the technology is already there. Exactly, and a lot of the defenses now I've seen, and I'll put links in the uh, in the show notes to all of the article, and not all, but many of the articles that I found that give you kind of an array of opinion about this. Mm-hmm. Um, from very, there's a glowing re- uh, review of this in the Hill. Um, I, there was a, a an editorial that said this is exactly great um, mm-hmm. or, or wonderful, and then the Chicago Tribune I think had a, a, an editorial that that said it was necessary, and then um, Al Jazeera had a really uh, negative feedback. So I'm going to give you sort of an array of these things, but one mm-hmm. of the um, uh, justifications for this was basically that we uh, have a lot of 
assets floating around in space, right, that are at risk should other nation states uh, start militarizing space and they could take out satellites and kind of blind us on the ground, right? And so mm-hmm, mm-hmm. they're thinking of this as a kind of a defensive uh, establishment of position. Um, but there's also, I mean, that's just not how the military works, right? They don't set up things <laughs> just for defense, right? And so there's an mm-hmm. offensive nature nature to this as well. Um, and also, and so one thing that I have read about in terms of satellite uh destruction in space there is a real danger of there's so much space junk flight floating mm-hmm. around the earth in orbit right and you guys may have done a, a show about this at one point or where you touched on this um and mm-hmm. there's a kind of a maybe there's sort of a a, a mutual assured destruction uh where we're not going to start doing that because once you destroy a satellite that adds exponentially to the space junk that's out there that's going to mm-hmm. inadvertently destroy lots of stuff that you don't want destroyed right and so right. there is sort of a um a kind of natural uh barrier uh, something to stand in the way of just blowing up other people's stuff up there because it's eventually mm-hmm. going to come back on you um am i right about that well so uh, yeah i mean in principle, yes, I think you're 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 right. So if we go, I mean, one of the one of the really important, um, I guess milestones was when the Chinese destroyed one of their uh, old weather satellites mm-hmm. in a in a in a in a test. Now this was a this was a missile test. This wasn't a we have a satellite and we zap another satellite. This was a, a, a missile that they sent up and they destroyed a satellite. <clears throat> and that did, you know, they, they, they exploded it. So, so, so they, they did cause a, a huge amount of space junk, um, in low earth orbit, um, that we had to track the U S tracked it. I'm sure the, so, you know, the, the, the Soviets good grief. See what this does to you. This puts you back in the cold war. I mean, <laughs> it doesn't it. And that's one of the issues though, isn't it? We're like reverting back to something that we thought we'd um, eclipsed, but go ahead. It really, it really, it's really, uh, odd how this happens. But so, you know, that, and that was in 2007 and, and, um, it was um, the source of a bunch of consternation, really, that you know the, the the Chinese had done this, even though we had done it before and the Russians had done it before. Uh, but the fact that China comes in and um, China, right? I guess you have to say it that way now. Um, China comes in and 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 blows one of their satellites out of the out of out of orbit. Um, yeah, a lot of space junk can be created. So if you're going to go with some kind of conventional explosives or um god forbid nuclear um mm-hmm. you, you you wouldn't do that i mean for you wouldn't do nuclear first of all to blow up a satellite doesn't take that much um but but um if you're going to explode a satellite yeah you're going to have space junk created i don't think that's where things are going though because you could disable a satellite without without obliterating it mm-hmm and uh, you can do so by um, multiple uh, multiple means, but fr- by frying the electronics of a satellite, um, which is non-invasive, um, could be done by you know pulsed energy you know uh, of some sort. Whether it's a laser, I mean, you could use a laser, a very powerful laser that you might put up there. Um, you could do it in, you know, in other ways by generating a, uh, you know, an overwhelming amount of electromagnetic energy of some sort to fry the circuitry of a satellite that disables it. You've just, you've done everything that blowing it up would have done. Yeah. And you don't have the space junk problem. Yeah. So, you know, there's where, you know, I, again, I, I, I think that's the, the real danger in orbit to orbit type, um, uh, weaponry be- because you don't, you don't pose the, the space junk problem. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, and one other thing, sort of you talk about the cold war. Um, that's actually a really good uh, insight though, Todd, about <laughs> the, uh, the one way to overcome that potential obstacle. But this seems to me like a slight escalation of what Reagan was proposing with the quote unquote star Wars program, which that mm-hmm. was a missile defense system, right? That was to Correct. like laser beam Soviet missiles because right. you know, they don't come across the water horizontally to the surface. Nucle- you right. know, intercontinental missiles go up into quasi orbit and then yes. come back down. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so this was to, uh, 
shoot those things out of the sky from above, right? Um, so mm-hmm. that was a terrestrial to orbit defense system or orbit to terrestrial defense system. This is some, this seems to be like an escalation to that. This is sort of, um, not focused on ground threats as much as other space threats, right? So if China, right. um, does come up with some sort of, infrared <laughs> something to disable our satellites mm-hmm. we have some some technological if not personnel force up there to uh stand in the way of that and defend that and to take out theirs as well right 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 um it, it is it is an escalation in some sense as you as you note but um if the technology exists to shoot ballistic missiles out of the air or out of the suborbital, you know, heights to which they go. Yeah. Um, shooting a satellite is again a lot easier, you know, and and, and takes the same technology. So, yeah. so if you've got the technology already, um, it's just a matter of training it on something else. And you know, um, it is it it is the case that um, it's only really easy if things are sort of co-orbiting. Right. Yeah. If they're in the same, if they're orbiting in the same sense and their paths are almost the same, then basically relative to each other, they're not moving. So it's a stationary target, which is easy to hit. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the, the reality is that satellites are traveling in all manner of orbits. They're not all, you know, around the equator going in a circle. I mean, right. the, 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 they're going in inclined orbits, uh, very elliptical orbits and so forth, um, inclined at different angles. And so, um, the challenge is, is, it can, can be quite significant. If you're counter rotating, you know, you're going to be, uh, <laughs> You're going to be dealing with very, very high approach speeds, and and things get challenging there. But, um, yeah. but yeah, I mean, you know, so uh, why are we worried about about this possibility? I mean, how much of our daily life is dictated by GPS systems, yeah. for instance? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. um, uh, you know, we. Your phone would not work the way that it does without GPS. You know, mm-hmm. no, no longer can you, uh, no longer can you get directions uh, in Tokyo uh, while you're walking around and watch yourself walk around. Yeah. Um, you know, be, you know, by virtue of the GPS system. So you know, that's a real thing. Real, it, there are communication satellites that have nothing to do with GPS that all spacefaring governments have that are vulnerable. You know, mm-hmm. that are that are that are things that, that one one might worry about. Um, you have to know where those satellites are. Um, so that gets challenging. And, you know, many of the satellites that we're talking about that are um, uh, that are uh, communications related are in really, really, really high orbit. So, again, there's another challenge. You know, it's not low Earth orbits, 200 kilometers above the surface. They're, you know, thousands of kilometers above the surface. Yeah. Um, any of the. Any of the what we call geosynchronous satellites, which you know orbit uh, above the, basically the same place on Earth all the time, um, those are way, 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 way out there. Um, so you know, getting getting those shot down would would be would be uh, much more challenging. Yeah, yeah. Actually, I, this is probably the very technical answer. But as you were talking, I'm actually curious. There's got to be some kind of governing body that tells a launch where to stick the satellite because there has to be somebody organizing these things up there <laughs> in order to uh, make sure there's no collisions right uh, is, is that true or is that I, I i no as far as i know there's probably liaisons between various national space organizations yeah. you know uh, you know the, the european space agency uh, takes care of all of europe essentially um uh, you know, and then there's JAXA in Japan, there's uh, NASA in the U.S., then there's the Air Force in the U.S., of course, when yeah. you're getting back to the military thing. Um, you know, the Air Force has its own system. Um, uh, you know, but the, 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 the Russians have theirs and the Chinese have theirs. To my knowledge, other than possible communication among those, there's not a governing body. Jeez. I mean, the United Nations has something. 
Yeah. You know, which is, has a weird acronym that I've forgotten now, but most United Nations acronyms are weird. Um, <laughs> it's like OUNUSA or something, outer space. <laughs> it's OOSA, that I remember. But um, And there's something called UNISPACE too, which I don't know exactly what Gosh. it uh, stands for. But So they may have some communication, but I don't think they dictate anything. Yeah. Well, that's space interesting. Is big, you know? Yeah. So, well – it does, but I mean, over time, the more people that launch things, I mean, it's just eventually there will be a, a tipping point, right, where um, things are going to be crossing each other's paths, and and yeah, and so it's interesting that it's just kind of <coughs> relying basically on goodwill and communication um, between nations about, oh yeah, I wouldn't do that because we have something that might hit there eventually, right? Well, and so, we all also track everything, so everybody knows where everything is. True enough. Um, that, that's a good point. Yeah. <laughs> you know, unless you have a stealth satellite up there, which I suppose is possible. But. Yeah. Well, there's the whole secret space program, um, which I don't. Know well, if, yes. Right. I don't know if you're aware of but, the, the um, deep state. Uh, <laughs> you know. Yeah. So, it is one of yeah. my favorite conspiracy theories to uh, to watch YouTube videos about. Is the same. <laughs> yeah. Uh, anyway, we won't get into that. But um, so okay. So I actually before we get move on here, I have a few yeah. Twitter. I put out a couple uh you know a call for questions on twitter mm -hmm. and actually got a few uh neil gusman has a few kind of funny comments that i, I would like to read <laughs> if i enlist and my twin brother doesn't can i go on a mission to alpha centauri when i come back he'll be old <laughs> mom always liked him better uh and then <laughs> what if i don't like El like elton john's rocket man can i still join is this like the space station do we have to be nice to russians uh and so uh there's you know, something in there about cooperation, right? But, uh, yeah. but, uh, and also Chris Buckley has some good questions that I think is a good transition into the kind of the military aspect mm -hmm. of this. There's a lot of, uh, like organizational logistical questions about creating a separate branch of the military, a sixth branch of the military. Um, right. and so uh, his question actually, or questions actually kind of get, get us into that. And so if it's okay with you, I'd like to read him. Um, he finds sure. the branding interesting space force like air force instead of space Corps like Marine or peace Corps. Uh, what does this apply about their mission? Um, um, is there some sort of adversarial kind of thing built right in? Are they to be a surveillance branch an active military uh, countermeasures against targets in order orbit or on the ground? Like where would this fit in? Why? <laughs> As its own separate branch, as Trump is mm. um, suggesting, where would this fit in, in relationship to – because the Army uses these satellites, right? And so is this sure. a force that's supporting the Army? And if not, why not just make it part of the Army, right? Um, so mm. like hierarchically, I think there's a lot of really interesting questions about making a separate branch here uh, of the military and what kind of um, kind of chaos that, that might throw the – military establishment into what are your thoughts mm -hmm. on that yeah yeah um and you know ju again just to just to uh, alleviate the concerns of of some of our listeners um probably including myself um you know the way <laughs> the, the way this was <laughs> introduced is very typical trump yeah. um <laughs> you know oh i was just thinking the other day over breakfast while i was eating my you know uh uh, baked beans and stewed tomatoes or whatever he eats that's too british for him i suppose um while i was tipping back my 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 you know my double uh bourbon um oh he doesn't drink alcohol actually so. oh okay well my pepsi you yeah. know um i just i thought you know we're doing a lot of stuff in space why don't we have a space force and that's a you know that's such a load uh, of whatever you'd like to load up. Um, you <laughs> so, know, I mean, something it's not, in a baby's it's not diaper. His, <laughs> <laughs> it's not his proposal, right? I mean, this is something that came from. I mean, to actually call something a space force is from Mike Rogers, who who's a representative from Alabama, I believe. Um, to 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 add this 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 actual space force. Um, and as far as I have been able to glean, um, it, 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 it's really being largely promoted as a, as a defensive measure, as we've already talked about, mm -hmm. um, not, not intending necessarily to be offensive in nature. Um, and in some respects, now, again, I don't know, I don't know Mike Rogers's background. I don't know. Um, I, I do know that he's, you know, he's involved in, 
um, you know, certain discussions about rocket engines um, because there's an Alabama angle to to who makes the engines for the next lift vehicles. Um, uh, is it Blue Origin in Seattle or is it this Alabama outfit or whatever? But but he, so he's you know he's 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 connected to security issues. He's connected to um, the strategic. I guess he's he's the chairman of the House Armed Services. Strategic Forces Committee, or or something like this. Um, so he's, you know, he's proposing something that essentially um, takes what is already existent in the Air Force uh, under the title Space Command. I mean, this exists, yeah, right from since 1982. It's a Reagan era uh, thing, um, headquartered in Colorado, as most space things seem to be, um, and to consolidate it. To divorce it from the Air Force, perhaps, I guess, um, this is speculation on my part, because it's not just the Air Force that benefits from or is, is connected to the work that um, that the Space Command does. Yeah. Um, the Army would have interest. The Air Force would have interest. Um, and, and make it its own entity. Um, some might say, um, and I'm not sure that I'm one of them, some might say that this, is, this makes sense. Uh, like creating the Air Force made sense out of the Army Air Corps, which preceded it. Right. Um, you know, maybe it makes sense because it can give you um, the opportunity to really simply specialize in these space-oriented activities. Um, so, I, you know, I wouldn't be too... I wouldn't be too concerned about the difference between core and space and force. Mm-hmm. Um, in the, the the Marines are not exactly defensive only. <laughs> yeah. Well, and yeah, and my my thinking about that was the same as yours. Is that it, because it's a branch of the Air Force? I think it was just sort of a natural uh, right. nomenclature uh, to come to. Right. Yeah. Well, it sounds better. <laughs> yeah. And you're not going to have people say the Space Corps anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, mispronouncing. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, 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 I think um, surely, of course, if you've got the defensive capabilities, they could be used offensively. I mean, that's that's the way that's just the nature of weapons of any kind. Right. Um, so that, you know, that concern, that concern is certainly legitimate. Um, but uh you know, I see this mostly and maybe I'm just err- erring on the side of of you know maybe I'm, I'm being too um, complacent about this but it just it seems like a bookkeeping thing more than anything else it's kind of sexy to call it the space force yeah. you know it sounds like a great new thing um, but I'm not entirely certain that it's um, pointing at any really huge expansion of activity yeah, be, not necessarily anyway. Because you're you're right, activity has been going on in space, right? And this is a different kind of activity than what NASA does, right? We already have military interests in space, and we have for a very long time, and that's mm-hmm. part of the um, argument that a lot of these articles that I'll post will make. Um, and so, I, does it sound like I'm being too fair to Trump in this episode? Because <laughs> I, I, you know, my initial. I actually got into a bunch of trouble on Facebook about about this. For those of you who follow me personally on Facebook, I posted his, his announcement video and I just made some snarky comment about the separate but equal thing. And then that this sounds like a science fiction dystopia. And then mm-hmm. somebody who likes Trump went in and vandalized my wall because of that. And then people were defending me and it became 150 comments. It became like a C Derek Varn, uh, comment wall on his Facebook feed. <laughs> and so, uh, yeah, it, it was, and then I went in to look at it later and, and on the specifics of this issue. And it isn't like, this is his idea. His, the, his rollout of it was a bit ridiculous because it's, you know, it's him. Right. But, right. um, but, uh, the idea itself predates him by a long time. And, uh, sure. and, and, and so it's, 
he's just given us an opportunity to talk about it here a little bit. And I want to roll us into the kind of, uh, and so this, we're talking like policy. This is more like city of man kind of territory. The city like of I man. Like I said, by. I'm no expert. Here. <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah. Uh, and so uh, something that we do more regularly on the show is consider like art and ethics and that sort of thing. And so I really do. I was thinking recently, the last couple of days as we were prepping for this, um, about 2001, a space odyssey. Uh, I mentioned mm. that in the opening and if you, everyone, you know, if you've seen that movie, you shouldn't, if you should have seen that movie, if you haven't, by the way, uh, it's 50 years old at this year, I think. And so it's a, it's a true classic. And even my, I taught it in my sci-fi film class this semester, this past semester. And I kind of prepped my students for the pacing. I said, this is going to seem like a boring movie. If you go into it thinking, expecting like what you expect to see in most movies, right? This is more like as much like looking at a painting as it is looking at a movie. Right. And so, um, prepare yourself for that. And, and they actually got a lot out of that movie. And so, um, one of the things about that movie is there's the famous scene where the, the humanoid, uh, hominid throws the bone up into the air at the beginning, um, because he's just discovered this new technology. And then there's this uh, matching cut, this graphic match of a, of a space, <laughs> vehicle floating in space that looks like the bone that he just threw up into the air. Um, and it's never, it's never really made explicit what that does. It just seems like a space orbiting vehicle, right? Uh, originally that was conceived as nuclear weapons housed in space. Um, mm. And at the end of the movie, there was supposed to be originally going to be when Arthur C. Clarke and Stanley Kubrick collaborated on creating the story. Um, th there was sort of a, a dual collaboration on, on both of their parts there. Um, the end of the movie, when the baby, the 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 the, the very strange, <laughs> they, the, the, they what? Yeah, 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 exactly. Um, he, this baby is supposed to be looking over the Earth, and then all of those nuclear weapons will explode in in orbit as if it's intervening and, and pacifying the earth. Right. And so they felt like that was a little kind of uh, hammy. Uh, and so they didn't actually do that. So we never actually know that those, that was a nuclear weapon um, in space. And so really people have been thinking about the ethical, I mean, that was an ethical meditation about our technology and how we're going to use it into the future. Right. Um, and our military purposes going to dictate what we do with our technology and how we even invent and conceive of our technology. Um, and so it really, I mean, I think that's an applicable question to this, um, to this endeavor is, is there, will there ever, can there ever be a limit to the military militarization of life? If we're extending it past geopolitical borders at this point, like when you go out of the earth's atmosphere, nobody owns that. Right. Um, and yet we are staking some sort of claim on it. And, I, I, I just I know that you hmm. have addressed these kinds of issues with your Paideia class at Luther. Um, and I know that you have some put some thought into this into the past. And so uh, what are your thoughts on the, the sort of ethical ramifications of this? Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, it, it does become interesting when you're dealing with a, a, a place that um, is not subject to the international borders that we're used to. Um, it's not unlike Antarctica, really. I mean, mm. Antarctica is also, uh, it's sort of divided up, but, uh, but, but not, you know, it's, 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 and in fact, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not sure of, so I, I shouldn't speak too far on, on this score, but I'm not sure of what the United Nations, um, controls over, over, uh, Antarctica consistent, consistent, you know, um, I do remember something about, um, sort of sectors of Antarctica that are sort of ge geographically south of the U.S., of New Zealand, of, of Australia, um, having some kind of claim, you know, directed down those se sectors of the of, of the continent. But um, as, as far as I'm you know concerned, it's, it really is an international zone in some sense. And space is sort of that way. Um, the... I mean, the landmark document is is this um, so-called Outer Space Treaty from 1967 that was signed jointly by the U.S. and the Soviet Union and the U.K. Um, and then, you know, has various signatories on it. And it's it's fairly clear that basically no celestial body can be owned by any or laid claim to by any national agency. Okay. 
<clears throat> and, and this includes the moon. Uh, presumably, this includes parts of the moon. It includes asteroids. It includes you know, there's there, the the language in the treaty repeatedly is the moon and other celestial bodies. So the the idea is space is meant to be open to all. Um, shall be at the at the end of the first article, um, and shall be the province of all mankind. Um, the exploration and use of outer space, including the moon and other celestial bodies, shall be carried out for the benefit and in the interest of all countries, irrespective of their degree of economic or scientific development. Um, that's the way that that's the way that treaty starts. I mean, it, so the, the, the concept is that it is meant to be open for all. Um, and, and by the way, and this is not the you know this isn't the the subject of this show, but. The, it, this got a little bit interesting when President Obama uh, signed this bill that had gone through Congress about space, about exploitation of space resources. Mm -hmm. um, and there was sort of there was some language in that bill that that um, that talked about uh, the U.S. having interest in developing these resources for the U.S. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> not going to happen as far you know, at least as far it, it seems to me that, that at least on the face of it uh, has some issues to to deal with if we want to reconcile that with the Outer Space Treaty. Um, you know, uh, space resources are not supposed to be subject to national appropriation, mm -hmm. so we can't go plant a flag on the moon and say it's ours, even though right? we did. Even, even even though we did, and and and, and in and subsequent uh, times, I, I believe this Chinese rover might have planted a Chinese flag, but I don't remember if that's uh, I don't remember if that's true, okay, or if that's just something they thought they ought to do. Which I you know applaud them. They, yeah, they should do that because nobody really is supposed to be able to do that. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah so the, so, I mean, the space treaty primarily was not concerned. Um, not really concerned with uh, this question. The the major thing was, given the timing of it, was was nuclear weapons or other uh, weapons of mass destruction in space. Right. He, you can't you can't put that in space. I mean, that's that's the, um, the the sort of one military paragraph or article in here is that uh, we're not you know uh, no objects are to be put in Earth orbit. That carry nuclear weapons or or, or other weapons of mass destruction. Mm. It doesn't. It doesn't. You know, forbid weapons of any kind. Yeah, which is interesting. And what year was this? You said 1967. And that's interesting because 68 is when um, 2001 is released. Yes. They're clearly they're clearly <laughs> right. reacting to the, the that discussion. I mean, that that's, I, I, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, I I'm glad they didn't put that ending on there because immediately that would have made me think of of Doctor Strangelove, and I would have it, you know. <laughs> It totally feels <laughs> Doctor Strangelovey, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we should take all the seriousness out of that movie. I mean, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 So you know, um, where people are, there will be military. I mean, I, I think there's just no way to get around that. That's human. You know, in it, 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 for 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 good or for ill, and you know, for ill certainly. Um, uh, wherever we go. Ultimately, there will be military in in some respects, uh, you know. Unless, uh, you know, I don't know. I don't know what. Uh, I don't know what would keep us from from that, um, given who we are as human beings. But um, and I, my my guess is there's no there's no boundary to 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 that. Uh, at, at least at least that would be our tendency. Yeah. So we're gonna we're gonna weaponize space to some degree. And and there's no. I mean, we can't even. If you think about our science fiction. Like we can't even imagine a space future that isn't militaristic, right? Um, mm. The only way we can is if it's private enterprise, like Alien. You have the uh, the ship going yeah. out looking for uh, you know natural resources, but even then, right. they're actually. I mean, the the conspiracy of that story mm -hmm. is that they're actually looking for this alien body so that they can weaponize it, basically, right? right. And so and sell it to the military. And so there's always this. Uh, this link between commerce and and the military that go so hand in hand, we can't even imagine a, a space future that doesn't replicate what our current, you know, that the co those current relationships are. I mean, Boeing right. is a private enterprise 
that works hand in hand with the, the government to create weapons, right? And, mm-hmm. and, uh, and, and that we just extrapolate that out into space in every, I mean, every science fiction story that I can think of has that, has that dynamic. I mean, even Star Trek is, mm-hmm. I guess, the most optimistic version of, of, of a space future. Um, the original well, on the human side, anyway. Yeah. Right? Be, <laughs> and, and, but it's entirely military, though. They are, they're a yeah. military core, right? Uh, and or force. <laughs> Going back right. to Chris's original distinction, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. And so it's it's uh, it's a fascinating and kind of depressing uh, reality is that we can't even imagine going into space. I mean, even if Elon Musk, you know, bilks taxpayers into paying for his <laughs> vacation to Mars, right? Um, um, yeah. I, I am very suspicious of Elon Musk personally, and maybe we should do a show on him later. Uh, that would be great. Actually. Yeah, I would love to do something. Something about Elon Musk uh, with you sometime. We'll talk about yeah. that after we hang up. Actually, sure, right, uh, right. Um, and um, but even uh, if he's able to sort of get to Mars, you can't imagine a colony on Mars that isn't in some way doing some work for that is supported by the military, and therefore mm-hmm. the military establishes bases and a presence there. I mean, it's right. it, it's almost inconceivable that we won't militarize wherever we go. Right? Um, yeah. No, I think I think that's true, and especially, uh, you know, I, from, as far as I can prognosticate, you know, where we are going next with space exploration is going to be all about resources. Yeah, uh, yeah. it's not going to be the science of you know w- was there life you know a hundred million years ago on Mars. I mean that that's a that's a sideline. Yeah. Right. The main thing is, you know, are we going to go and we're going to mine asteroids for heavy metals that we need for computers? Yeah. You know, are we going to mine them for raw materials that are becoming more scarce on Earth? Um, and the minute that, you know, that is is your goal, then, uh, you know, not only do you have corporations or multinational corporations that are heavily invested, um, but you've got nations which are going to be heavily investing mm-hmm. in this and if you've got nations grappling over resources as we do with oil I'm not sure <laughs> yeah i mean the, the 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 middle east is a perfect kind of metaphor for yep. what space will look like right i mean there's this resource that everybody needs uh that right. is heavily abundant in the middle east and a lot of the geopolitical com- uh conflicts are direct re- as a direct result of that um seeking out oil right and so when we find out how to land something on an asteroid uh and in the asteroid belt just beyond mars um that's what mars is going to be for as a support system for those mining operations right and there's going to be a lot of national interest involved there and we're going to have military outposts on mars to support and protect those uh those mining operations right yeah yeah well i you know and I, i just as i think about resources here um what what do you suppose what do you suppose would happen this is just flight of fancy here i guess um what do you suppose would happen if an asteroid was discovered and you know the u.s for purpose of argument discovered it um that had deposits easily accessible deposits of gold that outstripped the entire gold supply in the in the world mm-hmm. which they exist <laughs> what would happen who, I, in whose interest would mining that gold be? You know, you take that gold back to Earth and suddenly the gold market collapses. Then yeah, what? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, then gold becomes more of a, a use commodity more than a uh, a symbolic value commodity, right? Um, and so we, we use gold for products, right? And so then it becomes more like tin or something, right? right, right, um, right. Um, and so, yeah, it, its value then will be... Gosh, I guess I'm sounding very much like the first volume of Capital here. Um, but uh, the, its value is definitely going to be – I mean, I don't mean to do that even, but yeah. if it's going to have a use value then, right, and right. not necessarily a, uh, a prestige value. Right, right, or platinum or, or, or whatever, silver, whatever you want to, whatever you want to imagine. Um, and to the degree that those precious metals um, have any – real economic impact i can totally i can totally see there being um people entities whatever who would be steadfastly against opening that uh 
Pandora's box because of what impact it might have. Um, so again, another another possible reason why we might want to, well, why the why the military might get involved. Yeah, um, to force that market open or or shut, uh, depending shut. on yeah. on national interest, right? And so, yeah. yeah, and and I don't know if if uh, I'm trying to think the gold thing throws me for a loop because wherever gold is mined, if if uh, the country of uh, uh, Lithuania or something, some mythical country <laughs> that's rich in gold, right? Uh, and they're also a military power, they're mm-hmm. going to want to cut off any access to excess gold because that reduces their um, their their value of their main export right right and and so yeah a lot of um just control over the supply will be part of that and then other countries will try to open that up lithamandia then might (laughs) um deploy its military forces to stop or to destroy that asteroid or whatever you know what i'm saying right Um, right right yeah and so yeah we have uh and so it looks nothing it doesn't look any different than our world today is what i'm saying and this is what's so depressing about the whole space force thing to me yeah no i i i completely agree Uh, um you know so not not to um not to be too sanguine about <laughs> any kind of hopes for, um, you know, good coming 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 out of this kind of thing. I I, I do think that it, what what develops ultimately, and something is going to develop, right? I mean, the Chinese are active mm-hmm. in um, in um, deploying different kinds of satellites, and the Russians, uh, along with the U.S., have since the dawn of the space age been engaged in this kind of thing. And it does, it does just seem to be another venue for us to have conflict. And, um, you know, I, I can't imagine that there's anything in, um, in space that would require us to act differently than we already are. Um, yeah. you know, challenges, but the, the, the challenges can be over, can be, be overcome and we'll just express ourselves as we already have. Yeah. They're technological. Yeah. They're just new technological challenges. Eventually the technology will catch up to those challenges. Right. And we'll be able to go to Mars. Right. And, um, right. Um, and, and do what we do <laughs> there, which is again, right. a premise of every sci-fi film in the day the earth stood still. That's why, uh, mm. oh gosh, whatever that guy's name, Klaatu, Klaatu. That, that, that's why he comes down is he realizes that we're on the verge of being this scourge to the universe. Right. And he wants to, uh, let us know where we stand. Um, and that, um, and wants to force us into their kind of, uh, peace treaty with the, you know, mutually assured destruction sort of thing taken to another level. Um, yeah. And so, yeah. And so science fiction has like kind of been in front of this for a long time. Uh, and, and so, yeah, I feel like, uh, the whole discussion about protecting our satellites, which is basically where we're at right now with the space force. That's Mm -hmm. kind of what we're looking at since ostensibly nuclear weapons or any kind of weapons in space are illegal. Am I right about that? Yeah, yeah. Well, that, I mean, that's that's the text of the treaty. Yeah. Um, doesn't mean. I, I mean, I, I largely think it's probably not happened. But but yeah, I mean, that's the, the, the those are not legal yeah. according to the treaty. Yeah. And so, given that, it's about right now defending these satellites because the satellites support various um, economic and military endeavors on the Earth, right? And once we get mm-hmm. to the moon. Um, we're going to have mining interests in the moon. I'm sure. I'm sure there's something there. There's some sort of uh, some sort of oxygen in the moon soil or something. What is what's the moon rich in that um, doesn't exist on Earth? Or, uh, there's some. Well, uh, well helium. Helium. Um, that's right. That's right. And we're yeah. running out of helium on Earth, right? right? <laughs> and so that's a that's a motivation. That's an economic motivation to yeah. go to the moon, right? And that's probably why we will end up colonizing the moon um, mm-hmm. if it ever happens, is to do that kind of work, not for any kind of altruistic scientific exploration right um and then the same thing will happen when we jump to mars and wherever we go when we find those asteroids and eventually i mean this is why i I just am not a a technological utopianist those Mm. those utopian futures always ring false and the ones that seem like are actually closer to what we're doing are alien and blade runner right we uh, (laughs) uh, you know what i mean and and in which they replicate exactly what we are today 
you just naturally extrapolate the the reality of our our system into mm-hmm. this new um, technological environment, and and I really yeah. do think that um, um, that's where this is another step along the way towards. Right. No, you're. I, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, I'll, I'm I'm drawn to think of things like, um, you know, uh, Robert Heinlein, uh, "The Moon is a Harsh Mistress." Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, very interesting uh, text, and then there, there's there's a couple of new, newer. Um, gosh, I forgot the author. Um, Luna, I think, was the name of the first of 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 these books. But where they're exploring these economic realities that drive then conflict, which ultimately be- becomes military, mm-hmm. uh, military and nature. You know, a, a number of stories of um, of this kind have essentially military forces that are constructed by these multinational or inter, you know or uh, what do you what, what do you call it when you go beyond the earth i, I don't know yeah. <laughs> extraterrestrial corporations yeah you know that have their own marines um to protect their resources so you know being the pessimist about human nature that i am i mean i i, I think we're i i don't see any reason to, to believe that that uh, the utopian type vision of of space habitation rings true at all. I mean, the only thing I can see, and this is like f- fabulous, you know, this I'll like out to an extreme, is mm-hmm. if we do run into an al- an intelligent alien society that, for whatever reason, does not organize itself in the way we do. Right? Mm-hmm. We, we have this, I mean, which is entirely. I mean, there's no reason to think that every alien society is you know, industrial capitalist military, right. Um, right. oriented. And so we, um, uh, if we do run into one of these, uh, these societies like Klaatu, whoever he's from, right. Mm-hmm. Um, then that seems to be the only thing that's a barrier to us just extending this out in infinitesimally, you know, um, into infinitum. Um, mm-hmm. uh, and this is kind of the, the Al Jazeera article that I, uh, I will mm-hmm. post on the show notes. This is what they, that art, that author, kind of gets at is just sort of a universalization of, of, of militarism. And she's mm-hmm. like extrapolating it out and also inward um, it's down to the, the call to arm teachers, right. In a school, like that's just another extension of this militaristic mindset that we have to apply in every scenario. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and I think that uh, it's, it's a, it's a position to consider, I think. And so that's why yeah. I'm going to share it there. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, Todd, I, we're pushing an hour here. Um, I, I, I've gotten sort of everything off my chest that I wanted to, and you've actually educated me quite a lot on a lot of this, uh, this other stuff. Is there anything you want to add to this conversation or, uh, something to well, recommend that we read? <laughs> well, uh, I mean, the, the, the things that I find most fascinating to read are actually the, they're, they're fairly dense. Um, Legal, uh, you know, military legal reflections on, um, uh, you know, on on our space work. I guess you know, there's a lengthy article from 2006 called "International Law and Military Operations in Space," which you know I found pretty um, pretty interesting. Although it may just be my own nerdiness that finds it interesting, <laughs> uh, you know. Um, but it's jargon yeah, filled, right? Oh yeah, a little. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but people, you know, people have been wrestling with this for a very, very long time. Um, you know, as soon as it's recognized that um, space offers a an advantage of one kind or another, and the military thinkers are going to think military things, and and the economically oriented are going to think resources and whatever. Any time that that there is a perceived advantage, uh, human nature, I think, um, you know, means that we'll go to try to exploit it, uh, for that particular purpose. And that's what we're seeing. You know, that, that is all we're seeing. Uh, actually, I don't want to say that is all we're seeing. This is a much more complicated issue. Um, but yeah, so I don't, I don't know. I don't, I, you know, I, I, I do, I do wish that it was possible for us to cooperate more than we do, um, you know, uh, we we've we've done okay, I guess, with the space station. But you know, the space station is not the the whole of our activity, nor the the the, the Russians' uh, activity in space. 
Yeah. Um, well, and it's it's more limited to pure research, right? There's nobody's going to make yeah. nobody's going to make money immediately off of the space station. They're not creating right. creating resources, right? Well, and one so, question is whether they're actually doing much science there either. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's my own skeptical uh, take on it. Well, that's for your show, right? Uh, that's, <laughs> yeah, right. yeah um, but yeah, no, and and once. Someone finds that asteroid and finds a way to economically land an asteroid and profit off of it. That's when you're going to see an, a, a, you know, a subsequent upscaling of a military presence out of orbit of Earth and into various other arenas um, yeah. out there uh, somewhere until Klaatu comes down and uh, sends Gort to uh, to <laughs> put us in line, right? And so uh, that's uh, that's kind of where we're at. Um, I also I just recently was on, and I don't think it's been released. I don't know when it's going to be released, but on the City of Man podcast. Um, Coyle Neil asked me to read Dune and, and I, and I was on his show talking about Dune and, um, and it was actually a really, uh, I'd never read that, but it also, it kind of extrapolates human history out 10,000 years from now. And, and it's interesting how little changes it it, it resembles more of a feudal political system. And yet there's always that guild there. That's uh, that's driving what the, what the military does uh, and is able to do. And and so it's a, it's a really interesting, uh, it's a great book first of all, but uh, and it's 800 and some pages or some of, of uh, a lot of political intrigue, but it's uh, it's definitely worth reading as a way to kind of think about this in a more artistic level. So I, oh, yeah. I, I would recommend that one if you haven't read Dune. Um, I have not yeah, seen the movie, too. but um, uh, oh, you, you should, you should. It's yeah. a, it's an experience. Yeah. That's what I hear. <laughs> that's what Goyle said. Yeah. So, um, well, Todd, uh, thanks again. Uh, this was awesome. I kind of immediately reached out to Todd when this whole thing broke and, and we, we got together and when he got back in town, we recorded this and, and I, I learned a lot in prepping for it, but also in, in talking to you as I always do, um, a good friend, Todd Pedler. And so, um, go listen to him on his show, um, book of nature, uh, which is, you can find christianhumanist.org has links to all of, all of our um, shows. And so, um, uh, I am Danny Anderson as always, and I'm going to uh, leave you out uh, with, uh, the space force space, space force song, uh, as we leave.